We see that in every decision and in every moment of life, we are given the question of who is God of my life? And now for me or my maker. There was a story of a young man. He was of noble lineage. His father was a great conqueror. He conquered many nations. And so that boy, he grew up, he had resources. He had the best teachers that his kingdom could offer, but he had the highest standards and expectations placed upon his shoulder. His daddy was a conqueror, so what would he be? That boy grew up and he took in his father's footsteps. He became a general before he became a king. He conquered as well, but he didn't stop at nations. He expanded to continents. He conquered with such efficiency that the only thing that stopped him were his own men saying, General, we're tired of marching. That was the man who came the closest to unifying the globe. And yet even he came to die. But on his deathbed, he got his most trusted generals, and he gave them three criteria for his burial. He said that first, he wanted the best doctors to carry his casket. He said that second, he wanted his riches to be scattered along the road to his burial. And he said that third, that as they carried him in the casket, he wanted his arm to be hanging outside of it. And his generals couldn't help but ask, sir, those are some weird requests. Why do you want us to do that? And he said, I want the best doctors in the kingdom to carry my casket to remind you all that even the best doctors in the world cannot heal the disease that is death. He said that I want all of my riches scattered along the road leading to my tomb to remind you that everything that you accumulate in this earth stays on this earth. And he said, I want my hand to hang outside of my casket to remind you that we come into this life empty-handed and we will leave this life empty-handed. That young man's name was Alexander. And you see, we notice a theme in this life. That's that, you know, it's a lot of vanity. Even if you were to be the strongest man in your prime, when you're 90, you'll still need something or somebody to help you walk. Even if you're the most beautiful woman when you're 90, you'll still have wrinkles. Even if you had the most wealth that you could amass, you may not even have heirs that are worthy to inherit. We see vanity. Can somebody say vanity for me? Vanity. Vanity. You see, in this life, almost nothing actually gets completed. That sounds crazy. What do you mean, pastor? I mean, even looking at the emperor, he conquered. He got one nation. Well, there's another nation that's not conquered. Let me conquer that. So he conquers all of these nations until there's nothing left to conquer. But then what? You at least have to manage it. You know, empires fall apart. It's not completed just at conquering. You have to keep it and upkeep it. It's almost like working out. Like, sure, you can complete an exercise, but if you don't do it again, you lose your gains. If you don't do it again, all of that muscle fades away. There's almost nothing that comes to completion, even in relationships. You think, I'm lonely. Let me go on this date. You find somebody to go on a date with, check mark. You go on the date, y'all hit it off. Y'all start to date and then you get married. Oh, that's not completion. I know a lot of my audience knows that marriage is just the beginning. <laughs> 
My dad used to always say, whenever I wasn't married, I used to wonder, why do all of these married people get divorces? And then he got married and he said, now I wonder, how do all of these married people stay together? <laughs> and then even beyond marriage, well, what about your future generations? Child rearing and child bearing, you see almost nothing in this life can be completed. Because completion, it's hand in hand with perfection. And when it comes to this flesh and this world, it's, it's impossible. So then nothing really matters here, right? A little bit, a little bit. You see, though almost nothing can be completed, it shouldn't be this great gloom and doom factor. Instead, it just means that though nothing can be completed, then you don't focus on the end result alone. You focus on the process because you're always in it. If it's never finished, always ongoing, and you just focus on this destination, that's almost like focusing on nothing. It's like thinking, you know what? If I get this money, man, I'm gonna be happy. And you rush for the first 50 years of your life. I'm just accumulating wealth, accumulating wealth, accumulating wealth. And then you get it and you have no idea what to do with it. And then you get it and you can just look at your bank account and you see a lot of zeros, but it doesn't make you as happy as you thought it would. You see, the key is the moment. And the key is that in every moment to aim to glorify God first and foremost. Now see, this sermon is about me or my maker. You could say it with me. Now, as a matter of fact, say it to your neighbor, you or your maker, me or my maker. You see, I was looking through the Bible and I was looking for Matthew 6 verses 32 and 33. And I had just finished my exercise, so I'm puffing and puffing. I'm just trying to quickly get to it so I can put it in my document. And I end up on Matthew 26. And then I scroll down to verses 32 and 33, and I'm feeling pretty strongly in my spirit. Yeah, Matthew 6, 32, 33, that's definitely going in the message. And then I'm looking at verses 32 and 33, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Matthew 6, 32 to 33 doesn't say this, right? But this is beautiful. I need to include this in my sermon. This is beautiful. But verse 32 was red and verse 33 was white. And if you have the Bible app, you know that means verse 32 was said by Jesus and verse 33 was somebody else. And the part that was most beautiful to me was verse 33. So I looked at it a second time and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Why is this white? And why is that red? Who said this? And I looked a step closer and I'm going to read it to you. I don't want to spoil anything. Matthew 6 verses 32 to 33. We're going to be reading from the NLT translation if you would like to follow along. And it reads this. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And then the part that I saw, I thought, that's beautiful. I didn't see the first two words, though. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Now, you may wonder, well, why is that significant? Why, why does that matter, George? You see, Peter is a man and Peter said that he would never desert you. But you go a few lines down and he didn't just desert Jesus once. He didn't just desert Jesus twice, but you know the saying, third time's the charm? He deserted Jesus back to back to back. And when we see me versus my maker, we're kind of like the shoebox. I'm even a little bit skeptical to stand upon it. You see, humans aren't the most reliable. And my full weight isn't even upon this box right now and it's already caving in. I'm not sure if you can see it. I'm a little bit scared to lift, oh, there it is. There it goes. I didn't even put all of my weight on it and it's already collapsing, already falling short. 
But we see an alternative narrative from God. You know, yesterday, the verse of the day, when I saw it, I was like, I got to put that in my sermon, too. And it's from Luke. It's Luke 1, verse 37. And it simply reads, for the word of God will never fail. You see, this ladder here, it's a bit like God. In a sense, it's reliable. I mean, sometimes it may not look the most appealing. The Lord says to pray, you know, to to come to God with thanksgiving and to put all of your worries before him. But not only is it reliable, but I can see a bit clearer here. My vantage point is higher. I don't have to worry about it caving through. Even if I were to jump up and down and I have a fear of falling, so I'm not about to do that. But (laughs) even if I were to jump up and down, I wouldn't fall through this. And with that clearer view, it's almost like how the world likes to take whatever it enjoys from the Bible and then take Christ out of it. You know, even if you look at mindfulness and the whole world right now, people are saying we need mindfulness. We need this silence and this solitude. Forget about prayer. Let's meditate. Let's meditate. The thing is, in this mindfulness, what they do is they'll have you empty your mind. That's beautiful. But when you come over to God, not only do you empty your mind, but you fill yourself with his spirit. It's a step further. It's a step higher. It's a clearer vantage point. And we see that in every decision and in every moment of life, we are given the question of who is God of my life? Who is God of my life? Is it me? Is it man? And as I preached about in the past, just as there is a holy trinity, there's an unholy trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the world, the flesh, and the demonic. So sometimes when it comes to me versus my maker, it's not just your flesh. It's the world tempting you. It's the world saying that you ought to go this way when you should really go that way. It's the world trying to hold you down and destroy you at the slightest inconvenience. There was a story that I had told at the last God Heals, and I'm going to tell it again. It's called The Man and the Mule. And it goes, there was a man, a landowner, walking with his old mule who had given him many rides. And they just walked side by side, but then the mule fell into a deep ditch. And the man looked upon the mule, and he was saddened to see his partner fall. But he looked, and he decided, you you know what? It's not worth the cost. I'll do a two-for-one. I will fill this hole with dirt, and at the same time, I will bury my old friend. And so the man had called for two helpers, and the mule saw all of this. Not understanding the language, he looked up and he saw his master and thought he was going to save him. He saw the two servants coming through and he thought, oh, my master is just calling for help. (laughs) And so the two servants began to shovel dirt. They began to fill the hole. And the mule looked upon this and it was a little bit confused. But it thought, okay, there, there must be a way out of this somehow. And it didn't like the feeling of dirt on its back. So it began to shake its fur every time that they shoveled dirt into the hole. But then there was too much dirt around its hooves, so it took a step. And they would shovel more dirt, and it would shake and then take a step. And they would shovel more dirt, and it would shake and take a step. And the next thing that you knew, the mule wasn't buried anymore. Because though the enemy may have meant for the mule to be buried alive right then and there, the Lord was establishing steps for it to rise out. The old landowner did indeed get a two-for-one. It saved his friend, and it filled the hole. You see, in this life, we are granted two options, moment by moment. Me or my maker. Holy Trinity, unholy Trinity. And it can look weird sometimes. We think, oh, if God's going to bless me, I'm going to get a promotion. When in reality, it may be that when you are fired from your job, there's this weird sense of peace that comes upon you. 
You know, the world may tell you, you know, if you just got fired from your job, you don't know what you're going to do. You know, this market's oversaturated. You might as well not even waste your time applying for a job. You might as well just drink your sorrows away. I mean, shoot, if you can't think clearly, the problems basically don't exist, right? Hmm. Me versus my maker. You know, that blessing could come in the peace and losing your job, and that blessing could come in somehow getting a replacement quickly, too. You know, in this modern day job market, it's a blessing if you even get an email back with a decline letter. <laughs> in this market, you're not even guaranteed to be told, sorry, we went another way. In this market, you could apply to 100 companies, and you may get like five denial letters. But God got us. God got us. And I mean, even the wisdom in the world be there. Wisdom in the word be there. Because you cannot combat the demonic without knowing what the divine has told you to stand upon. It'd be confusing, right? Because you see the devil and he'll twist word that the Lord has said. Something I heard recently is that the demonic only moves in response to what God is doing. God's telling you to go here. The devil says, oh, well, he's not telling you to go there. He's actually telling you to go this way and, and you'll still end up there somehow. But see, if you weren't paying attention to what the Lord said, go here, go here, go here. And it could be a quiet, whispering voice. But then you hear this loud and confident one. No, he didn't say go here. He said, go this way. Your blessing is this way. Your blessing is this way. And whole time he's leading you far, far from it. It's like the prodigal son. He thought that he would find everything that he wanted in pleasure and overindulgence. Only to find himself poor, eating worse than pigs, and having to bury his pride to go back to his father that welcomed him with open arms. And in truth, he never had to go through any of that if he just remained in line. Mm. It's interesting. We're co-inheritors with Christ. To an extent, we are a little like kings. And I was going to talk about with alcoholism, even in the word, we see this clear distinction. That it's for a people, but it's not for us. In Proverbs 31, 4 through 7, and this is coming from Samuel's mother. So not the most wise man, but his mama who taught him some things. And she was telling him that it is not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol, for if they drink, they may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. But here's who it's for. Here's who it's for. Alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. And that's why I say, you know, there is this worldly aspect. There is not just my maker. There is me. So when the world says to just wash away your sorrows, if you can't think clearly, your problems don't matter at all. To an extent, they're right if that's what you choose to follow. If you choose to stand on the shoebox that's very far from stable, the shoebox that if you stood on with all of your weight would fall through in a moment's notice. What do you expect? What do you expect? And Romans 8 verse 17 states, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Y'all know that God is good. <laughs> Y'all know that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. I just want to hear your praise for a moment. Let God hear your praise for a moment. Let him know that you know he is good. Amen. You know, sometimes I look upon my relationship with God and I think this is an abusive relationship. <laughs> 
you know, we'll do wrong by God. He'll forgive us. We'll do wrong by God. He'll forgive us. We'll do wrong by God. He'll forgive us. We'll do wrong by God. He gives us a gift. Where did this blessing come from? It feels abusive. Like, I don't do anything to deserve all that God has done for me. I mean, shoot, if it wasn't for God, I'd be dead right now. But that's a whole nother story. It feels abusive beyond measure. And yet, even though we have such a good, such a loving God, y'all know that it's tough out here, right? This is a war zone, <laughs> a spiritual and a worldly war zone. Because though we battle not up against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities in heavenly places, what do you think they use to wage war upon you? Sure, they clutter your mind. But at the same time, while your mind is cluttered, they give you this serious decision. And if you can't think clearly, they hope that you'll choose to go left instead of right. They hope that you'll choose to deviate from the path that the divine is trying to lead you to. And they hope that you won't think of it again. Because, you know, as long as they can keep you busy, it don't matter if they got you doing the right thing. That's the intelligence of the enemy. You know, it used to be that leisure was the privilege. You know, the aim was to work less, to have more free time, to relax more. And yet modern day, it's the opposite. We live in a high consumerism society more and more and more and more. And we live in a society that's just workaholism. And we live in a society where everybody's in a hurry. It's never stop. Pause. Can I just have a moment of silence and solitude? Just a moment of silence and solitude. Feels different, doesn't it? The constant craving for stimulation, the constant distractions. No matter how much time we have in the day, we're left thinking that we don't have enough time for God. I just, I can't focus and pray. I'm working eight hours a day. I'm, I'm in the gym after that. I make my own meals. Man, I just don't have enough time for God. So many time-saving maneuvers have come up in the last couple centuries. And we have cars now. Imagine if you had to ride to work on a horse. That 20 minute drive turns into a four hour commute. Imagine if you didn't have a washer and dryer and now you have to manually scrub all of your clothes in this barrel of water and then hang them up to dry for a few hours. All of this additional time that would have to be wasted. And yet, weirdly enough, people back then were not only more fulfilled, they somehow had more time for God. They had more time for prayer, for worship, for study. How does that work? You know, same amount of time in the day, but we got all of this stuff that saves us time. And yet somehow we don't have any left for God. Hmm. Me versus my maker. And again, this looks a lot more appealing. It's got this cool little and symbol on it. You know, I like the colors. This it's a little bland. I mean, it may be practical, but I kind of like the aesthetics over here. And you see, we live in a society of anxiety. We live in a society where we're sold to on the basis of our desires, not our need. You know where they got that from? You know, all the ads and the marketing. We just need to give them a desire and then we'll fill that desire. They got that from Nazi Germany. No joke. The indoctrination comes from this idea of we need them to do this, but they don't need to do this. Pulling their heartstrings. Nazi Germany got that from Sigmund Freud. We have these subconscious indicators, subconscious decision makers. And as long as you can tap into these, you can control a man like he's a puppet. Me versus my maker. And many times in life, since it be like this, it becomes a question of, well, what do I do? 
You know, there's the quote that man is too alive to be dead, but yet too dead to be living. Because of how fast-paced this world is, yet how much more gets done. You know, there's also a saying that there is almost nothing that can only be done in hurry that could not have been completed in a slow and steady fashion. Y'all know Jesus lived a slow life? He waited 30 years before he preached his first sermon, and he only did that for a couple. People would be rushing to just touch Jesus so they could get their healing, so they could hear him preach. And he would sneak away from the crowd so he can go to silence and solitude and pray on the mountaintop. Even the man who was the center of attention for tens of thousands found time to get away and to pray. Because no matter how busy the world may be around us, we can always make time for prayer. Well, better said, we can make time for what we choose. For who is the God of my life? Is it me or my maker? It's not uncommon for the creation to rebel against the creator. Isn't that why we're like scared of AI? You know, on top of all the jobs being stolen. Well, what happens if AI gets so smart it can like develop itself? And then if it gets so smart from developing itself that it has consciousness. And what if it decides that man is actually a problem and then AI tries to destroy us? That's why we need to suppress it. It's just another instance of the creation turning against the creator, though that one may not actually be wrong. <laughs> so when we see me versus my maker, and we're posed with the question, how do I make more time for God? The answer is to slow down, to slow down. I was reading a book last night. It was about a five, six hour book. And I looked at the length and I decided it was 10 p.m. I wanted to be done by 12. I knew I could finish it in two hours. Title of the book is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. When I read the title, I couldn't help but think that my previous statement was a little ironic. <laughs> but I took one very long note of this book, and it was in him listing like 16 things that he does to just slow down. And the way that he does it is he puts himself in positions where he's forced to slow down. Again, this is a real fast world. You know, it's like the ocean. You don't just stand in the sea and expect the waves not to carry you away. If you want to do something different, you got to put up some resistance. A change must be made if you want different results. And so this list began with drive the speed limit. And I'm not going to even explain them. I'm going to just run down them. Drive the speed limit. Get in the slow lane. Come to a full stop at stop signs. Don't text and drive. Show up 10 minutes before appointments. Be in the longest checkout line at grocery stores. Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. Meaning, take away email and social media off your phone. Transfer it to the desktop. Have a set check time each day or ideally each week. Disable your web browser. Delete all notifications, including text. Ditch news apps, at least the notifications. Delete every app that you don't need or doesn't make your life seriously easier. Keep all wonder apps, such as maps, calculators, airlines, etc. And then consolidate said apps into a few simple boxes on your home screen. And then set your phone into grayscale. Continuing, parent your phone. Meaning, put it to bed before you and make it sleep in after you. Keep your phone off until after your morning set time. Let prayer set your equilibrium. Don't look at your phone until you've had prayer. Set times for email. Set a time or a time limit for social media. Otherwise, get off it. Kill your TV. We fill our minds with sinfulness of Hollywood. Our attention is the doorway to our hearts. Don't multitask. Walk slower. 
at a relaxed pace. Take a regular day alone for silence and solitude. Take up journaling and to take a moment to observe your life. Experiment with mindfulness and meditation, but don't just empty your mind. Fill it with the Holy Spirit. If you can, take long vacations. Happiness peaks on eight days. And cook your own food and eat it. This is a long list of things that quite frankly seem boring, but it works. You know, driving the speed limit, you look around and you see how many other people are in a rush and you can't help but wonder, I wonder, how much time are they saving? I went through a phase where I super sped, you know, hopefully this isn't legally binding. And <laughs> I didn't get to my destinations more than two minutes earlier than my GPS said about every time. And then I decided, you know what, I'm gonna just drive the speed limit. And I did that for several rides and I was getting quite confused because my GPS was accurate. And that meant that in driving like 30 miles faster, I only saved two minutes to drive. We're in such a rush and it's getting us nowhere. We're in such a rush and we're hitting the same destinations, but we're just tired when we do. We're in such a rush that while people used to say, Jesus, take the wheel, while Jesus is walking to the car, we're already reversing out of the driveway. We're rushing. And the rush is taking us further and further away from God. We see this rush and we think, it's for me. We see this rush and we think it's the way. But even self-love, which is a, a very recent thing to just shoot up, oftentimes doesn't look very different from self-centeredness. I'm not talking about self-care, working out, skin care. I'm talking about prioritizing my peace, my happiness, my joy. It's the kind of thing that looks a little bit insane when you put it into perspective. It's almost like a mother who decides she's going to feed herself before she feeds her baby. That's what it looks like in perspective a lot of times. It's not just choosing me, and I'm going to prioritize the world too. It's choosing me, and it's nothing but flesh. Hmm. Self-love, and honestly, by extension, self-righteousness. I know that was one of my biggest plights this month. You know, I thought I was just so good. I got something to tell y'all. Y'all know that better doesn't actually mean good? That man over there, he killed 10 people. I only killed nine. <laughs> That's not good. It's better, but it's not good. And we look upon our actions and we compare down. I did a little bit better than them, so the Lord ought to give me a blessing. I did a little bit better than them, so I'm expecting to hear applause soon. Self-righteousness is driving us to the grave because we think I am good enough. I have no reason to change, but they should. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Mm. Answer is, ain't nobody good enough, friend. Ain't no life easy. But there is an easy yoke, the yoke in Christ Jesus. It's not making it because, oh, we slowed down and thus our strength was boundless. It's in slowing down and consolidating your life on the things that matter most. Consolidating your life around Christ Jesus, around the Holy Trinity, that we make it. For even Jesus lived a slow life. And no matter how many great men tried to rush, how many Sabbath days they skipped, when no man more impactful than Jesus, as even the emperor of his time had six times as unique authors writing about him within 150 years, Jesus was chilling in the spirit, and yet he was the most written about man of his day. He changed the world, A.D. and B.C. Used to be before Christ, and I thought it was after death, but apparently that's not what A.D. stands for. 
and he set the trajectory of modern day. And then man corrupted it by trying to speed things up. So at the very least, as you go upon your days and slowing down, just start with the way that you breathe. As many people breathe like small animals that have just been frightened, rapidly inhaling and exhaling, you can see their stomachs just coming in and out. Slow. A deep breath in and an even deeper, slower exhale. Because it's not really like set on which way you should breathe. But one thing we do know for sure is if you slow down your breathing, you slow down your heart rate. When you slow down your heart rate, you calm down. And when you calm down, you're probably going to live a slower life. This is my message for today. Now let's just close out in prayer. Bow your heads. Oh, Lord, my God, I thank you. I came up here and I didn't even know what I was going to say, to be honest. But you got it. You always do. And I pray, Lord, that everybody under the sound of my voice shall lean on you. Even in the face of fears and uncertainties, that they shall still follow your will. You know, even Moses was a coward. He didn't want to lead. He said, Lord, please, at the very least, let my brother speak for me. He would have rather had been a follower than a leader. But you don't call those who are prepared. You prepare those who you call. And I just thank you for this day because, as I love to say, if you woke us up this morning, it means you're not done with us yet. And I thank you for that. As our relationship has been very one-sided <laughs> in loving the world, we perhaps have hated your ways. And yet, for some reason, you've loved us anyway. Other than Jesus, I can't name too many people who would die for those who hated them, die for those who persecuted them. But you did. Thank you for saving. Thank you for setting free. And I just pray that every day we shall serve thee. As this life is short, all too short. Time is the one resource that once it's extinguished, you can't get it back. And I just pray that every moment we'll live in, as it's all we got alongside you. We thank you and we love you. May we not waste a moment in rush, but enjoy the ride. For your glory everlasting. In the name of Jesus and by the spirit of truth we pray. Amen. Have a great week everybody. Stay blessed. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was the message titled Me or My Maker by George Bronner. This message is number 4124. That's 4124. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4124 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to iwanttogive.com. That's iwanttogive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because, brother, you need the word. Oh,